The following podcast is part of the MindBodySpirit.fm podcast network. Are you a healthcare professional looking to translate psychedelic research into practice? Then register for Psychedelic Harm Reduction and Integration, a professional training offered by psychologist Elizabeth Nielsen and Ingmar Gorman at the Omega Institute in Rhinebeck, New York, May 24th through 26th. Earn 12 continuing education credits as you discover how to better support clients who have an interest in psychedelics. Learn more at eomega.org slash thrive. Welcome to Spirit of Recovery, offering support for your spiritual growth and addiction recovery. Here's Reverend Dan Beckett. Welcome to the Spirit of Recovery podcast. We are glad you're with us today. I'm Reverend Dan Beckett here with co-host Reverend Michelle Vargas. Together, we share ways that spirituality and addiction recovery intertwine and work together to support your spiritual growth in your own recovery journey. We're basically a couple of recovery nerds and ordained unity ministers sharing our experience, strength, and hope on this spiritual journey of addiction recovery. We hope that something you hear today will be helpful to you in your own recovery journey. We invite your questions, comments, wisdom, and feedback anytime. Just send an email to spiritofrecoveryunity at gmail.com. And Facebook users, you can message us from our Facebook page, Spirit of Recovery. Just click the send message button right below the banner. And however you choose to reach out, please be assured that your anonymity will always be respected. Today's episode is titled, It Works If You Work It. Many gifts of addiction recovery come to us when we're willing to work for them. Part of that work is facing the wreckage of our past. To do so, we must combine right intention with the guidance of a trusted advisor in order to get real results. We must, quote, do the work. But how do we go about doing this work? Today, we want to share our experience, strength, and hope on finding our way from complacency to freedom through the willingness to do the work. So, Reverend Michelle, if you think back uh, in the beginning, what was it like when you first sort of began to realize what it meant to do the work in a program of recovery like this? Yeah, so uh, there's no doubt that the... um eighth and ninth steps are a little daunting. Um, and I think there's a good reason why it doesn't come until the eighth or ninth step. We need all of those prior steps to get to the place where we should even be considering doing this type of work. Yeah. Now, this is recovery according to Reverend Michelle, but I think that this the eighth and ninth steps need to be done with a lot of delicacy, a lot of thoughtfulness, and a lot of guidance. Um, because it can be very tempting to use these steps to sort of um, make ourselves feel better. I mean, it should make us feel better, but we have to really be careful about checking our motives. Yeah. You know, I, I hear of people, you know, they've been sober like a week, you know, and they're they're doing this, you know, eighth step. And it's like, no, you really need some time before well, first of all, 
each of the steps lays the groundwork for the step that follows, right? None of this can be done until we have really spent some time <clears throat> coming to know a power greater than ourselves, because that is our partner in this work. Um, and so, so, okay, so let me just start. So for me, somehow in my growing up, I didn't learn that it was okay to make mistakes. I don't know whose fault that was, but, um, you know, it's a lot of things it has to do with my personality makeup and, uh, <clears throat> you know, inner critic that I had already developed at a quite young age that um, I had to be perfect. It wasn't okay to screw up. And if I screwed up, I was bad. Well, that was the beginning of um, the development of a very shame-based way of being for me in the world. And so when you're shame-based, and uh, many of us are, especially um, those of us who have significant childhood, you know, trauma or whatever, which when I say trauma, <clears throat> you know, for example, my parents got divorced when I was two. That's trauma. Like, I, I don't care who you are. That's trauma. You know, so so just about all of us have some sort of trauma. Um, and when we get to this work, that unresolved trauma <clears throat> is what... Uh, is what really we start to see how these things have affected us in life. So, so when you're trauma, when you're tra when you have trauma in your childhood and you um, become a shame-based person, as I was, it's almost impossible to admit doing something wrong because that triggers that shame, what they call a shame spiral. So, in other words, I felt so bad about myself that I couldn't even look at things that I had done wrong. Does that make sense? Yeah, it does. Like it's too painful even too painful. to acknowledge it, let alone, you know, really put it in the light and process it. Yes. Right? Yeah, I know that. Absolutely. Feeling. And I agree with what you're saying about this step work. The steps are in this order for a reason. We need to at least just honor that, you know, even I remember early on, I didn't, you know, I couldn't have told you. Oh, you know, why is it important that they're in this or blah, 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 blah. I, I don't know. I just knew that I was in the right place and that people who had been there before me, some long before me, really seemed to have a handle on this. So I was just going to do what they were doing because it was working for them. And, you know, I this is not I was not uh, trying to reinvent the wheel by the time I got into um, a recovery community. I was just trying to do what people had done before me that worked. And I did hear that saying, it works if you work it a lot, mm, yeah. you know, our title. But, you know, being a person early on, when I, when I think about doing the work or not doing the work, I have to think about, you know, kind of what I was like early on or, you know, when I was younger. And I generally avoided doing anything that could be avoided. Now, part of that is, uh, is that I can ask, is that laziness or am I just super efficient, right? Because one way to grind myself into a hole is to do everything that I could do, right? And I've learned that not everything that comes up actually needs to be done. And so <laughs> where do you draw that line? You know what I'm yeah. saying? Yep. And I like to think I do better at it today than I was before. But complacency, you know, we're talking about doing the work instead of uh, avoiding or putting off or, you know, anything other than doing the work. And I have to acknowledge some 
a tendency towards being complacent and just sort of letting things be and not doing what I need to do. Yeah. Yeah. Um, so to go back to what I was saying, so having all this shame and not being able to um, look at my own uh, mistakes and things that I had done, that needed to begin to be healed. And I say begin because this is a lifelong process, right? But I had to do some significant work around healing that before I could even consider moving into these eighth and ninth steps. Um, because like I say, th this kind of work is so complicated. Let me give you an example. I needed to get to the point where I could see very clearly that it was not necessary for me to contact my high school boyfriend and apologize to him for cheating on him. You know, I won't give the details, but um, which he didn't know about. Right. So but it could feel if I had tried to do that in my first six months of sobriety, that could have felt really like, oh, I'm holier than thou. I'm going to call this guy up. I'm going to tell him how I cheated on him and how sorry I am and what a wonderful human being I am now. No, 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 no. <laughs> None of that was necessary because there was no need for me to contact this person. There was no need for me to hurt him with something he didn't already know about. Like it just. Yeah, exactly. Of, you know, and so and and but that takes some spiritual maturity before we get to that level of discernment. Right. So, so how did you know? I have to jump in with a question. So how did you know not to do that when you're saying you you thought of it? Right. But you didn't mm -hmm. do it. Um. Well, first of all, I wasn't even there yet. I was you know, I took my time moving through the steps very, very slowly. You know, I didn't even get to this step until I was probably three or four years sober. That's the way I did it. I did stuff really thoroughly, really slowly. I was doing a lot of therapy. I went to an outpatient recovery center. I did a lot, a lot, a lot of work. There was no rush for me to get through these things. I needed time to begin to heal myself before I could even consider doing these things. Because, you know, if we aren't beginning to heal ourselves before we do this, we end up making more wreckage. We end up doing yeah, more damage yeah. or we do things for the wrong reasons. We do right. things to assuage our own bad feelings about ourselves, but they're not really to help the other person. So I don't know. I probably had some very wise people that I heard say things in meetings. Um, you know, I had, I had a sponsor that was really great and stuff like that. So, um, uh, you know, I had, I had that guidance, but mostly I just wasn't even there yet. And I don't think for me, that's not a bad thing. There is no rush to go through these steps. Now, everyone has different types of wreckage. Some people have financial wreckage. You know, they literally owe somebody $500. Okay. There's nothing wrong with getting to paying that back pretty quickly when you get sober, because that's just pretty straightforward. I owe you 500 bucks. I'm going to start paying you five bucks a week until it's paid back. That's not the same thing as this, these nuanced, you know, by making this apology, am I going to hurt the person more? Who am I doing this for? Is this going to benefit me more than the other person? You know what I'm saying? So it depends on the type of wreckage that we have and the type of amends that need to be made. Um, and that's why we work with a sponsor. And that's why we stay in very close contact with our higher power so that we can. And I don't know, it's, this is again, this is just recovery. According to Michelle, there is no rush. 
there's, you know, we're not going to go out because we didn't do the fourth step in our first month of sobriety. That's not the way it works. If you are actively engaged in doing the work, that's what's going to keep you sober, not because you, you know, rushed through the steps and got them all done first. There, it's not a, it's not a race. It's not a competition. You know, that's, that's my personal feeling about it is to really take our time and do these things thoroughly. Yeah, I, I, I love that you're saying that because although the program might on the outside look like it's, you know, highly structured and therefore there's one way to do it. In reality, there are many ways to do it. And that's another reason, at least for me, why I why it was important for me to have a sponsor, because I didn't want to kind of make this up from scratch on my own. Like I was saying, I didn't I wanted to talk to someone that had done this yeah. so that, you know, OK, at least I'm not flying blind here on my own yep. and uh i was fortunate and it sounds like you you may have had a similar experience to have a sponsor that wasn't pushing do the steps do the steps now maybe right. there are people for whom that would be important mm -hmm. uh, that's certainly possible i'm not saying yeah. you can't move them more quickly and then do them over and do them over but yeah. i know for me there was a kind of a natural pace that seemed to work out well you know i'm just going to say we were divinely guided i think it's fair to say about who who to talk to who who to provide the you know who could best provide guidance and at what pace to do all these things i also wanted to add a plus one for rehab i did an inpatient <laughs> you did an outpatient um I, I that was really important and super helpful for me and another plus one for counseling or therapy oh, you know i got into it i had done a little bit before but i gotten in i got into it weekly when i um, when I got into uh, on the recovery path, and I have continued to do it since then, without um, a break. Mm -hmm. So over all these years, I think it's incredibly important. I, I feel like, you know, ev everyone should be in therapy all the time. I don't know how many of us would need to be therapists would would 20% of people need to be therapists in order to make that true. I don't know. But I, I just can't imagine navigating life without that resource to kind of talk things through and mm -hmm. um you know get that sort of perspective so i'm all for help you know I, I i mentioned the guidance of a trusted advisor right in the in the opening description and that can look like a lot of different things sponsor recovery friend therapist rehab people whatever whatever it might be clergy person yeah right that could be a trusted advisor sure yeah, so um, the other thing is, I learned that there is such a thing as a living amends. So one thing is where you actually go to a specific person and fess up, so to speak, to whatever you did. Assuming that by telling them you're not going to inflict further harm because that is so not the idea. Like we don't get to hurt other people in order to feel good about ourselves. That's not, it has to be, so it's not an apology, right? It's an amends and yeah. amends means to fix that relationship. So if it's not going to fix it, if it's going to cause the person more harm, but you know, alleviate our conscience a little bit, that's not the idea. And also, it's not helpful to apologize for something that we're going to continue doing. 
right? Yes. Better to hold off on the apology until we have corrected our behavior. That's probably one reason why it took me a while. There was significant behavioral changes I needed to make. You know, I needed to be at least on my way to not behaving like that anymore before I had any business apologizing for the behavior I had done. Right. So I had wise folks around me who explained to me that a living amends means that you don't do it anymore. You don't do that thing anymore. Whatever it is, you yeah. do the work. We're talking about doing the work. You do the work, which for me was years and years of therapy and all kinds of attendance at other initial meetings, which I won't go into, <laughs> you know, to, to, to really get at that behavior and what was going on with me and why why I was doing these things and to really make a good start at not doing that stuff anymore um, before I, you know, so, so a lot of things for me did not, because of the nature of my errors, they were mostly relationship-based and behavioral-based, you know, the amends for me was to change my behavior, to stop acting like that, basically. Right, yeah. Not to go and tell all the people what I had done to them because that was not going to help them. That was only going to make me feel like some sort of, you know, spiritual, I don't know, whatever. Like I was, you know what I'm saying? Like we have yeah, to Yeah, yeah, really, you're bypassing. You're bypassing if you do that. And we have to really, really get a handle on our own ego and our and checking our motivations. I, whoever taught me that, checking our motivations, I mean, that's something I have to do constantly. What is my motivation for? Because in the case of the boyfriend, that was just an excuse to get in touch with him, which involved intrigue, which right. involved the groups with other initials that I used to go to. Right. So, you know, and I had to learn that that was just that was just an addictive. That was like, oh, this could be fun. I could get, you know. So yeah, it's just so complicated. But and uh, when in doubt, make a living amends. Make a commitment to yourself to change your behavior to not continue doing those things. That is a true amends to the world. You know, it's like instead of going and finding these people I hurt, I'm going to stop hurting people. Do you know what I'm saying? Yeah. Yeah. But I'm that's harder work. Okay. That's harder work. It's easier to write, you know, shoot off a letter or an email or a phone call. That's not doing the work. You know, doing the work is really working to change ourselves. Are you a healthcare professional looking to translate psychedelic research into practice? Then register for Psychedelic Harm Reduction and Integration, a professional training offered by psychologist Elizabeth Nielsen and Ingmar Gorman at the Omega Institute in Rhinebeck, New York, May 24 through 26. Earn 12 continuing education credits as you discover how to better support clients who have an interest in psychedelics. Learn more at eomega.org thrive. Yeah, and that's where I, I recall um, as when when this particular part of the recovery was front and center, having a sponsor that you know would, would sort of go over my list with, and and he would say, "No, you, you want I, I, you should probably just wait on this one." Now I didn't know why. I was just like, "Yay!" He didn't tell yeah. me have to do. It. I'd be happy to never do that one. Right, right. And so it wasn't hard for me to resist, but. I really appreciate the, you know, the wisdom that was in play in my 
sponsors who had, you know, a, a, who could see things I couldn't see, mm-hmm. both in myself and in my gotcha. list and in life and in recovery, um, to kind of keep me out of the weeds, so to speak. And and like you're saying, some things, um, and this can be hard to discern. And again, why I would turn to a trusted advisor is, is this a living amends kind of thing? Or is this a pick up the phone kind of thing? You know, I, I, I feel that I need to do something about it now, because I'm, you know, maybe I can feel the weight. But just acknowledging, maybe take it into a prayer, make the talking part of the amends, if you will, or the direct contact part of the amends with with God and not yes. with the person and just yeah. stop doing that. Yeah. And I also learned that an amends is not an apology. In fact, leading with I'm sorry is probably not the right way to go, at least the way I was taught. It was more, and I don't know if I'll get this just right, but the shape of it is more like, you know, I did this mm-hmm. and I, and that is not, I was not right. That is not a right way to act. And I don't, act like that anymore and if there's anything i could ever do to make that right with you i hope that you'll let me know Mm. and then leave it at that i didn't say i'm sorry i I didn't try and get the other person to tell me that's okay because when i make an amends it doesn't matter what the other person does they could yell at me and give me the finger and leave okay, fine. I didn't do anything wrong. Right. But I don't get to dictate their response. Right. Which takes some time and some spiritual maturity, I think, in the program, like you were saying, definitely, I'm not doing it so that they'll act like I want them to act right. That's part of the problem. If if I'm expecting people to act the way I need them to act so I can feel okay, then I'm not really taking responsibility for my own situation. Yeah. Not real, not really at all. Yeah, if we're still, if there's still a lot of charge around it, I think what your sponsor said, let's just leave this for later. Again, yeah. there's no rush. And like you In, said, check your motive. I have to do that. Check your motive again and again. Unless, like I say, it's something that can be fixed, you know, something financial or something, I don't know, whatever, Some, you know, something that needs to be like physically done you know something needs to be returned to someone or whatever that kind of thing that can be done but if it's more emotional behavioral yeah I mean in fact it turns out that there's you know relatively few occasions in which it's even necessary or appropriate to even go to the person so many amends can be made you know with our sponsor, with God, with whatever. I mean, it, it, anyway, right. we just, we need trusted guidance to sort all that out. Because it depends. Each one depends. It really depends. It, no it depends if we're going to, it depends if we're going to do further harm. And it depends if we have an ulterior motive for contacting the person. Like there's some kind of hit we're going to get off of getting back in touch with this person, yeah. or we're going to get some kind of thrill out of, you know, telling them what we did that they didn't know about because, oh, I'm so bad. I did this. That, yeah. There's, there's so much. It's, it's very complicated. Yeah. Like you're saying, that's still all me, 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 me. And this, that's the opposite of what, that's the opposite of what I'm trying to do if I'm making an amends. It's not me, 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 me. It's, right. it's certainly, it's me owning my part in it yeah. and acknowledging it and offering to, you know, if there's a way to get it back in balance or rectify it or whatever the willingness to do so, but not manipulating the other person and not trying to create, you know. And not 
not getting a payoff from it ourselves. If we're getting a payoff from it, then it's probably ill-advised. The good outcomes, they just happen, right? I don't have to design them in. I do my part and the healing, the relief, the weight off my shoulder, that'll just happen. I don't need to orchestrate. That's what I'm looking for. I don't need to orchestrate that part. I just need to do my part. The real healing and feeling of lightness comes from getting some time under our belt where we are no longer behaving like that. Yeah, yeah. So, you know, if we prematurely go and apologize to someone or go and make this amends and then, you know, find ourselves doing something similar a few months later, then that was premature. You know, it's not that we're going to be perfect and never do anything wrong again, but we need to make, we need to feel like we have a fairly good handle on whatever that behavior was before we go making amends for it, you know, or we could just like preemptively make amends for the things we're going to do in the future. I'm sorry for this thing I did and any future things I might do to you. <laughs> right. And if I do it again, I'm sorry about that also. <laughs> oh, goodness. The important thing about all of this, to go back to like how I started out, was that the other steps, the work, we're talking about doing the work. And so the work for me was to develop this power this, this relationship with this power greater than myself and allow the love, the infinite love of that power to begin to heal all of that shame in me so that I could even have any business doing this kind of work at all. And that's an ongoing work that I will be doing for the rest of my life because yeah. it's not a one and done. I daily need the love of God to heal me from my own self-loathing, my own inner critic, my own, you know, I am, I'm horrible to myself internally sometimes still. Um, Those are, you know, I have to, that's a a living amends to myself is to, you know, to have this commitment to um, actively working at healing all of that, you know, healing the, the negative, um, self-talk, the negative beliefs about myself. Um, yeah, that's for me, that's the work. That's the real work because those are the things that were behind the behavior anyway. You know what I'm saying? So my behavior isn't going to change until I heal those things. I could go and make amends for something, but if I haven't healed the underlying issues that are causing me to behave that way in the first place, then the amends is premature because I'm going to keep doing it. Yeah. Yeah. Um, I, I agree with that. I think you're right. And again, that's why um, I keep coming back to, I need help with this stuff needed and still do um, the the input or insight or perspective of others. You know, I'm talking about recovery people could be sponsor could just be recovery friend you know to to know to help me almost help me check my motive if you will another thing that's coming to mind as you share is this this whole this broad concept that says trust the process mm. right rather i have to remember to trust the process rather than trying to like demand a particular outcome from it like i was saying before if if I if I have a way I need the other person to respond, if I'm making amends, then I'm not ready to make that amends. There's something going on still that I need to look at. And I need to be willing to trust the process of recovery and not force or push things or get ahead of myself mm-hmm. just to allow it to unfold in a natural manner. 
Uh, like you were saying before, the pace at which you did the steps was good and right and perfect for you. And for others, it may well be different. There's no one right way. We just have to discern through, you know, our own instinct and, and through God and communing with the spirit and through um, interaction with others, what that pace might be for each of us. So if you're listening to this, you know, don't worry if you feel like you're going too slow, you're probably not going too slow. You're probably doing what you need to do as long as you're showing up and doing the yes. work. I mean, there is a, there is that trap of not doing the work and then falling off the wagon and going out and then, okay, well, maybe there was something that could have been done, but and Again, if that happens, that, that's yeah. what happens too. I mean, right. Just get back on that horse. Yeah. None of this is linear. I mean, it's different for everyone. Um, it's, it's about remaining engaged in the process, you know, and yeah, if that. we yeah. step out of the engagement for some time, that's not ideal, but if that happens, then that happens. That's just, I mean, tons, we both know tons of people with sobriety that it took them a few tries to and yes. i don't I'm not, not advising anyone go out because you may not make it back it's not a safe thing to do but a lot of folks do you know i mean statistically people don't often get sober on the first go round so but the more that we stay engaged actively engaged in this process the more that we are intimately you know working these steps and and really getting at stuff the less likely we, we frankly we don't have time to go out because we're too busy working on ourselves and and healing this stuff you know that's a full-time job and yeah, it's never, a lifetime job never quit quitting i've heard that said never quit quitting i know that that's what worked for me um with another addiction which is nicotine was never quit quitting i mean that's that's what got me to the one that stuck you know, the time that, the time that stuck and just, uh, keep coming back. You know, I would hear that just about every meeting that I went to keep coming back, trust the process, one foot in front of the other, one day at a time, this will work if you work it, you know, and that's kind of what we open with. It works if you, if you work it. And I know that to be true. And I know that you know it to be true as well. And like you said, no matter how many tries it takes, no matter how many stumbles or what have you, I've heard there's a there's an ancient saying: "Fall down seven times, stand up eight. Yeah, so you stand up eight times if you fall down seven, and just keep going. You know. Well, yeah. it's, it's I was just time say for one other thing. Let me oh, just say ahead, one yeah, other yeah. thing. So, as far as doing the work, like basically, the extent to which we remain engaged with doing the work is the extent to which our lives will get better and better. So, yes. there, you know, it's correlated or proportionate or however you say that like the more work we do the more our inner light can shine forth and the more we can drop all the crap the burden we've been carrying for years and years I mean I wish I could have just like set it all down and be done with it but I have to keep unloading that burden there's still more stuff that is burdening me and um, it's a lifelong commitment to this work but the payoff is that life gets better and better. The more things I set down, the more I heal, the happier and freer and more fulfilled I am. So it's directly proportionate to the work that we do. Yeah, I would agree with that. 
And it is time for recovery in a nutshell. This is when we take uh, out of all that we have said, the pieces of it that we found most helpful or the short version, the elevator pitch, if you will. So Reverend Michelle, in a nutshell, if someone came to you and said, I, I think I'm willing to work for my sobriety, but what exactly do I need to do? What does it mean to do the work? Well, I mean, it starts to sound, you know, repetitive, but like we say, go to meetings, get a sponsor, work the steps, you know, read the book, um, be engaged in the process. And if you're engaged, if you're doing those things, you won't have to wonder what to work on next. I have never once in almost 27 years ever wondered what I should work on next. Yeah, really. It's never happened because life just keeps showing me where my next assignment is and where I next need to work. So if we're engaged and we're doing the work and we're paying attention, um, we will know where we need to work next and we won't have to go looking for assignments. The universe will gladly point us to where we still need to heal. Yeah, absolutely. The work shows up, right? When the when the student is ready, the teacher appears. And the teacher could be an annoying situation that it is now time for me to deal with. What comes to mind for me is trust the process. I even jotted yeah. that down, which is not control the process, right? Trust the process. Just suit up and show up. Um, I was advised 90 meetings in 90 days, join a home group and get a sponsor. Now, I know that's not a one size fits all, but it certainly worked for me. And if you're listening to this and you're wondering what to do, I suggest you try that and mm -hmm. see if it works for you. It may, it may not. You'll only know if you do it. Uh, work the steps. Trust God. I love this one. Trust God, clean house and help others. In a nutshell, that's what we're doing. And th yeah. that's one of those, you know, have to keep circling back to the beginning. It's like repeat could be the fourth step. Rinse and repeat. Repeat, yep. exactly. And that's, that is in, in essence, what I'm doing when I am willing to do the work is some, some, I'm somewhere in there, trusting God, cleaning house and helping others. Absolutely. Well, right along those lines is our affirmation today, which says this, Trusting God, I do what is mine to do, and I am free. Yeah, exactly. I love that. Trusting God, I do what is mine to do, and I am free. Well, it's happened again. You've given yourself the gift of another episode of Spirit of Recovery, and we're grateful that you have. We hope that you found something in all of our chattering today that you find genuinely helpful, and we bless you wherever you are on your recovery journey. And as always, we invite your questions, comments, wisdom, and feedback anytime. You can find us on our Facebook page, Spirit of Recovery, or you can email us at spiritofrecoveryunity at gmail.com. We're so glad you joined us today, and we hope you will join us again. And until then, don't drink like my co-host. And whatever you do, do not drink like my co-host. Instead, have yourself a wonder-filled week. I'm Suzanne Giesman, and if you've ever wondered about life after death or if it's possible to connect with a higher consciousness, I invite you to join me for my podcast, Messages of Hope. It's my mission to share with you that our loved ones who have passed are always with us, and we are so very loved. 
I want to teach you how to live a consciously connected and divinely guided life. Listen here on the mindbodyspirit.fm podcast network.